listening to WBAI New York. The time now is 5 o'clock. Welcome to Driving Forces, a weekly show about politics and policy and a focus on city, state, and local politics, and of course, the issues that matter to you. I'm Jeff Simmons, and I am back today, joined by my lovely co-host, Celeste Katz. I missed you, Jeff. I missed you, too. I had a nice time in the Hamptons, but I listened to you during the show, and you did a great job. And you live-tweeted the show, which is like, <laughs> I was really excited to see you taking all this wonderful vacation time. But I wanted to make sure I came back for Pi Day to be here with you. Yes, yes. Happy Pi Day, everybody. 3.14, or March 14th. <laughs> So, uh, as many of our listeners know, we recently focused on the public advocates race and we invited a number of candidates on to driving forces. We thought we'd shift now and we're going to be focusing on uh, this week and next week on the Queens District Attorney's race. If you haven't been following this, uh, longtime Queens DA Richard Brown has announced that he's going to step down effective June 1st. Now, a number of people already had said that they were going to be running to succeed him, but he announced he's going to be retiring early. He had issued a statement, in fact, if you uh, are familiar with him, that he had been in deteriorating health, and he had said that given the current state of my health and my ongoing health issues, it's become increasingly difficult to fully perform the powers and duties of my office in the manner in which I've done since 1991, almost 30 years uh, he has been in office. So seven Democrats, Celeste, have launched campaign right now, and we have invited all seven to come on the show over this week and next week. We've heard back from six. So today we're going to bring you the first three. We're going to start in a few moments with uh, Jose Nieves, who I have learned is a neighbor of mine in Jackson Heights, Queens. Oh, really? Yep. Great. And then we're going to have Melinda Katz. And uh, closing out will be Betty Lugo. But we are also going to hold some time today for our listeners to also call us in the remaining, say, 15 minutes or 10 to 15 minutes of the show to be able to tell us what you think are some of the issues that the candidates should be focused on, especially when it comes to criminal justice reform. And that number is... 212-209-2877. And are we ready for our first guest? We are. Okay, wonderful. So as Jeff mentioned, our, our first guest today is Jose Nieves. He's from Jackson Heights, Queens. So he lives near Jeff. Don't uh, don't feel bad for him, though. It's, uh, it's not such a horrible thing. Uh, he's a career prosecutor, an Army combat veteran, and a community leader. He worked for the Office of the New York State Attorney General as a deputy chief in the Special Investigations and Prosecutions Unit. So, uh, Mr. Nieves, welcome to Driving Forces. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, so maybe you could just start us out for uh, for uh, our listeners who are just getting into the DA's race and getting to know everybody. You know, tell us a little bit about what makes you different from from the uh, many other candidates who would like to uh, succeed the uh, the district attorney. Sure. Listen, I, I my my life experience and my professional experience sets me apart from the rest of the candidates. You know, I growing up in East New York, Brooklyn, uh, a young man of color. I've seen a lot of violent crime on the streets. I witnessed homicides, so I know how important, um, you know, public safety is. But at the same time, um, I felt that the indignity and disrespect of being racially profiled by the police because I've been stopped and frisked as a young man. So I felt how unfair that is um, on, on people of color. And my family, you know, we came from very humble beginnings. Uh, my mother was a a street vendor by the day, and by night she was a delivery card dispatcher. And 
you know, it was me and my six brothers, and we didn't have a lot, but we had each other, and that's what was most important. So, you know, that experience alone has motivated me to do something for my community, to serve my community, and I have. I, I've decided to, to enter into the criminal justice system and try to change it, make it more fair, more fair, more equal, and more just for people, for everyone in our community, and especially people who look like me, uh, the black and brown people and other individuals, the new immigrants in our community. Um, you know, so that really, that life experience, and then my professional experience as well, sets me apart because I'm the only candidate that has practice in multiple jurisdictions. I've practiced in federal court, in state court, and also as a military prosecutor. I've uh, been an eight, I have 18 years experience as a prosecutor, so I know what works and what doesn't work, uh, what doesn't work in the prosecutor's office. I know what programs were, have been effective, um, having come from and starting at the Brooklyn District Attorney's for over a decade, I saw how effective drug treatment courts and diversion programs have been to turning lives around and really making a difference and, and driving down public, um, they're driving down crime and, and, and supporting public safety. So it's my professional experience that, you know, is very unique and, and not reflected with the other, you know, in the other candidates and my, my life experience. Because I believe my life experience gives me the motivation to change the criminal justice system, but it's my professional experience that's going to help me um, make those changes happen. So did you bring up two interesting points and how they might fit together, people wanting to be safe in their communities, but also people wanting to feel like they are free from uh, unfair prosecution or from discrimination in the uh, in the justice system, in the legal system. How do you make those things sort of match up? Certainly, we, we can look back to a time where we had, and in some areas certainly still have, uh, debates about tactics such as uh, stop and frisk, or as they later called it, stop, question, and frisk, and, uh, you know, just how people in different parts of the city might be treated in different ways by the police force and then subsequently by the justice system. So where do you, where do you fall between balancing those, those two things? You know, I, I think they're not exclusive of each other. I think that you can have both public safety and still respect individual rights and, 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 you know, respect the dignity of the individual and their, and their you know, their contribution to society. You know, I, I've always believed that if you treat, treat people fairly and equally, then, you know, people are going to respect this criminal justice system if they know that it's operating in a fair and equal manner and it's not um, tilted or swayed against one uh, community or another. Or, you know, if you have to have money in order to buy justice, I think that's what turns people off. And But at the same time, having grown up in a community, you know, very tough neighborhood, no one wants, you know, violent crime in their community. Everybody, I have two children who take the bus every day, my 16-year-old daughter, my 13-year-old son, and I want to make sure my family's safe. And when they take the bus, I don't want to have to worry about whether they're going to come home or not. Um, and I think that, that's the case with every everyone that lives in Queens. We want our safe streets to be safe. We want our communities to be safe. And I think we can do that by focusing on violent crime. I think the problem is the criminal justice system has um, misguided to believe that in order to drive down crime, you have to incarcerate a large amount of people. And that's the only solution to, to reducing crime is incarceration. And I think that's wrong. And my 18 years of experience as a prosecutor has shown me then you can do more with restorative justice 
with diversion programs, with making sure individuals who are nonviolent are not in the criminal justice system so that we can, we can focus the resources, the very limited resources of the criminal justice system on violent criminals, on breaking up gangs and trying to get the drugs, um, you know, the drug traffickers and the human traffickers and the, and the gang bangers off the streets and and, you know, away from our, our family. So earlier this week, the Brooklyn DA uh, had announced his plan uh, to, uh, you know, with the number of options, alternatives to prison. What did you think of this plan? I think it's an excellent start. I think it's an excellent start. And he's he heading in the right direction. You know, I actually served with um, Eric Gonzalez at the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office. I served there for, 10, for 11 years. And uh, we, we, we were prosecutors in the same unit. And we often would sit down and talk to each other about what would we do if we were in charge of the criminal justice system? What would we do if we were the, the person in, in the top office? And these are the ideas that we talked about for, for years ago that we wanted to see happen, how we want to decriminalize poverty and, and divert and, and decriminalize drug addiction and divert individuals away from the criminal justice system, focus on the index crimes, the violent crimes like murder, robbery, rape, um, serious assault where, you know, that that's where you drive down crime and, and you promote public safety. And, you know, stopping the, the mass incarceration that, unfortunately, you know, if you're a person of color, you, everyone has, has been affected by it. And, you know, my family has been affected by mass incarceration, so I come from an understanding of why the system needs to change. And I think Eric Gonzalez comes from the same understanding, and he's doing what he can to make things different. So, I want to do more so I want to run through a few issues quickly with you and to get your stand on them. First of all, uh, D.A. Brown has been there for nearly 30 years. Do you think there should be term limits for district attorneys? Yes, absolutely. Any sense on what those terms should be? How many? You know, I don't think, uh, you know, I think three to four terms is more than adequate. Um, I don't think an individual should be in office for 28 years. I think at a certain point, the community deserves fresh ideas, a fresh perspective, a new look at the criminal justice system, a new look at things, how things are being run. Um, so I, I, you know, if, I, I will not be there for 20 years. You know, having, you know, being elected as district attorney, I can promise you that. Uh, legalization of marijuana. Your thoughts on I that? Support, I support the legalization of marijuana. Marijuana especially the, the um, low-level marijuana charges have been used to really incarcerate large portions of our minority communities. And I've seen it time and time again where individuals get picked up on minor um, marijuana-related offenses. And because of that, that one offense, they are barred from education. They're, they're precluded from getting city jobs, from being able to get licenses, that, that, you know, professional licenses. And it's wrong wrong because it's not a public safety issue. I don't see it as a public safety issue. Um, and with the legalization of marijuana, I think that it's going to be left of a public safety issue. Uh, we can control how and where and, and under what circumstances it's sold and who uses it, just like we do uh, alcohol. So I think that, you know, we still have control over it, and I support the, the legalization. And I also want to expunge those convictions of low-level marijuana convictions of all these individuals that have been tagged and, and saddled with a conviction that has precluded them from opportunities.
One of the other issues that we've been talking about, and sort of, I guess, germane to, to Queens, but certainly to the rest of the city, is uh, the situation at Rikers Island. So wondering how you feel about uh, about the state of the prison there and what should uh, what should happen with it in the future. Yeah, I have, I have a lot of personal experience with Rikers Island because as a, I was a um, 2015. Rikers Island was actually um, a place where I visited a lot. I was a prosecutor. Uh, charged and responsible for prosecuting correction officers for engaging in excessive uh, force because um, the U.S. Attorney's Office had State Department of Corrections and they had to revamp their use of force rules and they also had to hire even prosecutors to hold officers accountable for violating those rules. And so I was advocating, in that, in that capacity, I was advocating for incarcerated individuals to have the right to, to, to not be punished without due process of the law, to, to, to not be, um, you know, abused and and hurt badly. And some of these cases that I, I prosecuted were very, very serious injuries that if they were done by a civilian in the, in the streets would be felony, violent felony, uh, you know, cases, criminal cases. So, you know, I feel that the, the culture and the atmosphere of Parker's Island is toxic, environmentally toxic, and the, and the culture there is a culture of violence. And I think it needs to close. You can't fix Rikers Island. It has to close. But I don't agree with the current proposal of building superstructures and communities to hold more people in incarceration. I think the key to closing uh, Rikers Island is to decarcerate it, you know, and to and to stop the mass incarceration. So that's definitely where I where I want to go. I don't want to see these new prisons being built where they're you know billion dollar projects. And they're, ho- they're housing three times as many people because the, the, the reality is that that's not that's that's the wrong direction to go in. You know, we, we shouldn't make more jails. We should be you know trying to keep people out of jail more often. Uh, a couple of other issues uh, in the time that we have left with you. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion, of course, of decriminalization of sex work. Do you believe in decriminalizing prostitution? Uh, certainly, it's been a, uh, an issue for a long time where. Uh, the women mainly who are involved are uh, prosecuted more frequently than the Johns, the the customers, so to speak. Yes, I I support the current legislation in Albany that decriminalizes all prostitution-related offenses. Um, I believe that the focus, and as district attorney, my focus will be to create the human trafficking unit and focus on human trafficking. I think that's the real uh, public safety threat in, in Queens, and we need to focus on that. Um, I will not be probably be declining to prosecute all uh, all prostitution related offenses uh, with regards to the sale or, or the solicitation or anything like that. What we will be focusing on as at the DA's office is cutting down and breaking the, the traffic, human trafficking rings that are bringing people into our country um, and also you know, involuntarily uh, putting them into sex work. Uh, so, uh, Jose Nieves, we're going to have to wrap up, but I do want uh, you to tell us how people can learn more about your campaign. Where should they go? Absolutely. They can go straight to my website. It's Nieves for Queens DA, and I also have social media, so they can also uh, search hashtag Jose Nieves Queens DA, and I have a YouTube and um, videos as well. So I'm all over the Internet uh, with Twitter. Instagram and with the Facebook. So all they have to do is uh, go on the website and they'll be able to see what I'm about. Yeah, that's for Queens Theater. 
Thank you so much for joining us here on Driving Forces this afternoon. So we uh, are now up to our second candidate, uh, who uh, both Celeste and I have crossed paths with a number of times. Our second candidate today is Queensboro President Melinda Katz. She's been Queensboro President since, uh, wait, I have 1993. Do I have that wrong? No, she's not since 1993. You're going to correct me, Melinda. She's been a public servant, though, for nearly two decades. She was previously a member of the New York City Council and the New York State Assembly. And she served as the director of community boards for Queens, former Queens Bor uh, Borough President Claire Shulman. Welcome to Driving Forces, Melinda. Well, thank you, Jeff. Nice to hear your voice again. So correct me. I said you've been borough president since 1993. That's not right. It's uh, since... I've been borough president since... I've been five years. <laughs> so let's get... 2013, I got elected. Let's get right to this race. What differentiates you from the other candidates for DA? You know, the district attorney's office is very different than it used to be. I think community relationships are extremely important. I think it's just as important to keep our kids out of the courtroom as it is to make sure that our neighborhoods are safe. We've gained a lot of relationships with communities throughout the borough of Queens, working on violence intervention programs, working on second chance employment, working on making sure that there's a way for high school kids to know that there's other paths, sealing convictions for um, people that have had a felony and a misdemeanor. So I think that the community relationships that we have built as the borough president gives people some faith that with all the discretion that district attorneys have, that I will make sure there's victim, there's uh, justice for a defendant and that there's justice for victims. What would you say have been some of the strengths or, and or weaknesses of, uh, of Richard Brown's office? Richard Brown has been the district attorney for 28 years, and I think he brought the borough and the city through difficult times in the 90s. But, you know, it's been 28 years, and I think we need to change the culture of how we view a district attorney. And there's other district attorneys in the, in the city of New York that are great examples. You know, Eric Gonzalez has done amazing things on justice reform in Brooklyn. And I think you need to take a little piece of what other DAs are doing uh, to make sure that the culture of change changes in the district attorney's office. You know, I believe in much more community involvement. I believe in the fact that you can have fair and just trials uh, and still be able to have a very safe borough, uh, no cash bail, discovery reform, conviction integrity units, and all that comes with the, with the reform that we're all talking about. Um, but I would say that the community involvement is really a key difference. You, you can't introduce yourself to the constituency of the borough uh, as the district attorney on January 1st. It just won't work. You won't have the faith of the community. So earlier, I believe in the last few days, uh, you and uh, Ruben Diaz Jr. from the Bronx had, uh, uh, had urged Mayor de Blasio to reset his goal of shuttering Rikers. Can you just explain your concerns about this? Sure. I mean, Rikers, I believe, needs to be shut. The culture of Rikers, the violence, the, the way that it is set up uh, in, in there's no uh, separate areas to be able to separate folks. Um, we need to close it. The problem is that the local jails uh, were picked out and the spaces were picked out, I believe, without true community involvement. And, you know, just like the DA's office should run with community involvement as well, I think the locations for these jail houses um, should also have a lot of the community input. Right now, at least in Queens, um, they're intending on putting a jail right next to Borough Hall 
to knock down a center that's there now and a parking lot and build a very large institution. But, you know, the first thing we need to look at is why do we need such a large institution? We need to make sure we're lowering the population of Rikers. We need to put things in place that make that happen. Not charging cash bail for misdemeanors and nonviolent felonies will actually lower the population at Rikers. Making sure that we don't have marijuana arrests will lower the population. Clawing back, by the way, to make sure that those that are sitting in jail for, for marijuana possession, criminal possession, um, are actually able to make a motion to get out. So I, I think the first thing we need to do is lower the population, lower the number of people that get arrested, and then figure out the best places for um, neighborhood jails. And in terms of lowering the population or sending fewer people? That's me. Hi. Hi. (laughs) I was going to say, hi, Borough President, no relations, since I always used to have to put that in my my items when I was writing for the Daily News. But it's uh, good to hear your voice. Um, So in terms of lowering the population or sending fewer people to prison, we've talked about a couple of uh, a couple of issues, uh, uh, legalization of marijuana, decriminalization of um, of uh, uh, sex work, uh, prostitution. uh, Where you know, what are some of the specific ways that you would like to, you know, to uh, to limit the number of people who could potentially get locked up? Well, the first way to do it is violence intervention programs, right? For those folks that are in communities who feel that there's no other choices or paths besides violence or theft, we need to make sure that they know that there's an infrastructure in place, that we use community groups that are on the ground to make sure that the DAs are partners with these community groups so that we don't just sweep in, say what we think should happen, and then we're gone, right? And people are left with no tools and no opportunities. So we need to start with programs to make sure they never end up in the system and diversion programs. You know, right now, uh, a little known thing is that in other boroughs besides Queens, for criminal possession um, of a controlled substance in the seventh degree, they're using diversion programs as the go-to when folks are picked up for that. And that's something that we should do here in Queens. But as a list, legalization of small amounts of marijuana and um, make sure that we're not picking people up for that. I believe it's an excuse for stop and frisk, truthfully, anyway. Um, make sure that there are diversion programs when people are brought in, um, and so that spending time in jail is not the go-to. In Queens right now, we have a diversion courthouse for sex traffic and for sex workers, uh, people engaged in prostitu- prostitution, and we should expand that and make sure that as we're diverting folks to that courtroom, that we have mental health services, drug addiction programs, make sure that that the sex workers have places to go and that there's an infrastructure in place for the ability to pull loose of what I call houses of abuse. And with that, we lower a lot of the population that's in Rikers. I mean, right now there's 18,000 people sitting in the state of New York that are simply in jail because they can't afford to pay whatever cash bail was asked for by the court. And usually it's low-level amounts, by the way. So we need to make sure that we equalize the playing field, but we also need to make up for bad mistakes. And if you're just joining us, you're listening to WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live 
at WBAI.org. Celeste Katz and Jeff Simmons here on Driving Forces. We're talking about the Queens DA race, and our guest is Melinda Katz, Queensborough president. So, uh, Borough President, I wanted to ask you also, obviously there's a, there's been a certain tension, to put it mildly, in the relationship between the justice system and the political system here in New York and in Washington, uh, especially when it comes to issues like immigration. So just curious how, uh, how you would see uh, handling uh, justice and, uh, say, immigration cases and the relationship between the city and ICE uh, in terms of uh, whether people can be prosecuted for local crimes without uh, dragnets and so on. Well, I urge people to look at my Queensboro president's website, and we have been extremely outspoken about the rights of immigrants here in Queens. We are 190 countries in 200 languages. 48% of the people that call Queens home, that fill out the census, are born in another country outside the United States of America, and they've chosen to make Queens their home. And we believe that's the gift that we give the rest of the United States of America. But our justice system needs to reflect that. So if you're arrested in the borough of Queens and you're an immigrant, the justice should not be worse for you than it is for others who go through the same system. You need immigration-neutral pleas. You need to make sure that the charges take into account the immigration and the uh, deportation consequences. But at the same time, we need a way and a path for people who are victims of abuse, who have workplace discrimination, who are having their pay stolen from the people that they work for, but feel like there's no path because they may be undocumented. And there has to be a way for everyone to get justice. Immigration status um, should, should be irrelevant in that, um, defin- in, the, in that equation. And so as the borough president, we've been extremely outspoken about the public charge and how immoral I thought that was to amend the public charge. Um, and so I think in the DA's office, we need to make sure we have immigration neutral pleas. We need to make sure the charges account for the fact that people may be deported at the end of that process. And if you are citizens, you wouldn't be. And three, though, we need to make sure that there's a path for immigrants to be able to get out of houses that they're being abused in, to make sure that they get paid for a day's work, for a day's pay, and to make sure that there's equality in that, too, without immigration status. And as far as ICE goes, um, I will do everything I can to keep ICE out of our courtrooms. And we've had that situation here where there is human trafficking courthouses and ICE has come in. So the women, women are victimized by sex traffickers, and then they're victimized again. And so we have done everything we can to be outspoken about that. And as DA, we will make sure that as best we can, um, that they're not welcome in our courthouses or in our schools or in our hospitals. So what I find interesting is ever since the election of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez that so many candidates in different races are, you know, branding themselves progressive. And I'm curious how this progressive movement is impacting the DA's race. Can you just talk a little about that? Well, there are those of us that feel we were progressive long before last year's um, election. So I don't think that quite defines who I am. I think I can only tell you my views, and that is that I believe Queens should be leading the movement to figure out how to do no cash bail. On day one in my administration, low misdemeanors and low-level uh, nonviolent crimes won't get cash bail. And then we're going to figure out how to do ATIs 
alternatives to incarceration to make sure that people aren't having cash bail at all. We need to make sure we have discovery reform. You know, right now in Queens, you're expected to plea bargain without knowing all the evidence against you. And you can't make, you can't make a real decision that way. If, if the district attorney is a good district attorney, and I am very confident in my abilities to build a case against someone who's actually uh, guilty of a crime, I should have no problem showing them the evidence uh, that I intend on using. But first and foremost, Progressive or not progressive, the key here for lack of recidivism and making sure that we lower our population is intervention before they even end up in the system. Lives are ruined. Lives have taken a turn for unbelievably worse simply because they end up in the system when the truth is they don't actually need to be in the system. And so diversion in all costs, I believe, is one of the best ways um, to deal with so many situations. Do you think it matters whether or not the district attorney is male or female? No, I don't think it matters. I think that it matters who you are, the reputation you have. And I think most of all for a district attorney, it matters how much faith people have in you. You know, we can say anything uh, before an election, and the truth of the matter is you only know what someone's going to do by the experience they've brought in the past and by the commitments that they have kept in their other positions. So I think that's why, I mean, so many elected officials um, and unions are coming on board, but, but I'm most proud of the civic leaders and the groups that we've worked with that have decided, look, the district attorney is going to have so much discretion because every DA does. And, you know, the state legislature is talking about um, reforming our justice system. But even with reform, we have so much discretion. You need to know who's going to keep their words, and you need to know who you can trust in that position. And I think that's what matters to people the most. So, Burr President, we're going to need to wrap up in a moment. Uh, can you just tell our listeners how people can learn more about you, your work, and your campaign? Sure. I'd love for people to uh, go to the website, melindacats.com. MelindaCats.com. It shows you our policy papers. We have a bunch of op-eds that we've written and position papers on workplace safety and workplace uh, protection, uh, immigration, um, and uh, housing fraud. And so I'm excited about uh, where Queens is going. I look forward to working with everyone. And I thank you, Jeff and Celeste, for having me on your show. Borough President Katz, thank you so much for joining us. And I know that uh, you appearing here on the show made our engineer James very happy today. Ah, <laughs> beautiful day. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye-bye. So you have been listening. Uh, that was just Melinda Katz, one of the candidates for Queens District Attorney. You've been listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Jeff Simmons, joined by my co-host Celeste Katz. No relation to Melinda Katz. No as I, always, I always had to put that little asterisk in my stories when I covered uh, when I covered politics <laughs> for, the, for the Daily News. But... Um, Interesting, interesting couple, interesting topics there. Definitely, I'm I'm interested to hear. For I think we have our third guest coming up pretty shortly. And and after that guest, we're going to take your calls. And that number once again is two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. We want to know what you think should be some of the criminal justice reforms that a district attorney should focus on. 
whether you know it's urging legislators uh, to uh, care about this or to uh, enforce within their own uh, divisions. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of issues about um, what's going to happen with Rikers Island. There's been a lot of uh, years and years of stories about the culture of Rikers Island, about the the safety of Rikers Island, about uh, the the number of people who are incarcerated. That just and that's just a single prison. You know, more broadly in our justice system, we're talking about. Uh, you know, should there be an end to cash bail? Is it unfairly punitive to certain people uh, versus uh, versus others? Um, and remember, again, as, as uh, Jeff mentioned earlier in the program, if you're just joining us, we are looking at the end of almost 30 years yeah, of the same yeah. district attorney, which means this could be truly, truly an, uh, 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 a quantum leap, you know, from from where we have been to a completely new administration. Very, very interesting to see how each of these different candidates is going to try to change the office. So one of the things that I had wanted to talk with some of the candidates about, but I know we've only got like limited time, mm. would be the uh, types of endorsements they've each been getting. And I wanted, uh, you know, I want to give a little credit here to uh uh, to Jeff Colton from City and State, who's been tracking a number of the endorsements. And it's as of March 8th, so I'm sure there's been more that have taken sure. place since then. Um, but our first guest, he doesn't have any listed for Jose Nieves. There might be ones that are not on here yet, but Melinda, uh, who we just had on, has had a number of them, including from the Queens County Democratic Party, which reminds me, mm. one thing we do need to check, there had been, we had great Congressman Greg Meeks on yeah. recently. He wouldn't answer our question whether he was uh, oh, yeah. seeking to succeed Joe Crowley. Uh, as the Queens Democratic Party leader, but the rumors in the last few days, I think city and state has been very thorough on this, was indicating that it seemed likely that he was going to be the next person. Oh, you were, sure you were definitely working him over on that one. It was a good, <laughs> it was a good question. And I, I, I was interested to hear what he had to say. And I think he said, you know, essentially his position was Queens is great and it's going to keep on being great, Jeff. <laughs> and that's all the time we have for today. But uh, definitely interesting to see uh, what... Uh, uh, how the how the uh, the chairs will um, will uh, be moving around the musical chairs act goes if people move into different positions uh, within the party within elected office and and so on um, and of course it'll be curious and is it actually the um, I don't know if it's if it's in any of those listings yet I should I'm a little remiss in not checking that out but obviously you would be interested to know if they do endorse. Uh, uh, the PBA, you know, uh, Sergeant's Benevolent Association, the Corrections Officers I, Union. And in fact, I believe some of them uh, have endorsed. Oh. I just flipped off that uh, that page right now, so I don't have it in front of me. But next week, one of yeah. the three candidates who we're going to have on, uh, I believe uh, Rory Lanceman has had a few of those endorsements. Oh, okay. Because yeah, there's, was, there's uh, Patrolman's Benevolent, Sergeant's, uh, Captain's Endowment, right? I mean, there's a whole bunch of different. There's the uh, fire unions. There's, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, probation, you know. Probation. Probation officers, I know right? that several have met with probation, in fact. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, just so our oh, listeners spill know. It, spill it. Spill no, no. the tea. <laughs> I know that uh, our listeners uh, uh, would want to know also who we've reached out to. So uh, the other candidates, uh, by the way, who are going to be appearing next week are Lori Lanceman, 
uh, Tiffany Caban and Mina Malik. Uh, we've also reached out to uh, the other candidate whose name is skipping me right now. I want to say Greg Lasek, uh, but he yeah, uh, we've not seventh, yeah. we've not heard back from him yet. We're still going to pursue trying to get him on the show because we want our listeners to hear from every one of the candidates. And uh, we hope to have on our, our third uh, candidate in just a few moments. Uh, and then uh, follow that up with uh, your calls at 212-209-2877. Oh, great. So it looks like we do have our, our third and final candidate for today on the line. By the way, again, if you're just joining us, this is WBAI New York 99.5 FM, and we're streaming live at WBAI.org. Greg Simmons and Celeste Katz here Jeff with you. Simmons. Yeah, what did I say? Oh, because I was thinking Greg Meeks. Oh, my God. This is Greg's smarter brother. Here. Okay, right. <laughs> Jeff Simmons, Jeff Simmons and Celeste Katz. Is that my name? Did I get my name right? Yes, you did. On Driving Forces every Thursday at 5 o'clock. And, okay, hopefully I don't blow this. Uh, our third and final guest here today is Betty Luga. Uh, she's a Maspeth resident, and she's the first Hispanic woman to work as an assistant DA in the Nassau County DA's office in the mid-80s. Um, and she has been uh, founder of the law firm Pacheco & Lugo uh, since 17 years ago. So, Ms. Lugo, welcome to Driving Forces with Celeste Katz and Jeff Simmons, not that other guy. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for um, making the time to interview me, and thank you to the listeners for listening. Appreciate it. So, for the uh, for the people who who are just starting to get interested in the race, tell us a little bit about what, why you're different from the other candidates and why they should vote for you. Well, you know, aside from my, I'm I'm a former prosecutor. I work at the Nassau County DA's office. I also worked at the Manhattan DA's office, and I worked on the Pizza Connection case with um, judges. You know, sitting judges today. They're both uh, federal court judges, and Louis Freed, the former FBI director. We also work at the Albany County DA's office. But more than that, what makes a difference from everybody is that I'm a people's lawyer. And I understand the complexities of the system. I understand the different communities where people come from that Queens is made up of. I'm fully bilingual, and I am, I am well entrenched in all of the different communities of Queens. One of the biggest cases that we had in Queens was the uh, Cypress Hill Cemetery case. Back in 1995, where they were burying people in garbage. They were burying people in construction debris at the Cypress Hill Cemetery. Mm -hmm. That's a case that my law firm took on, a case that should have been taken on by the AG's office or the DA's office because it involves fraud, it involves um, hurting the um, community. But me and my business partner, we took it on on our own dime, and we made sure that people got new fresh graves, we made sure they got disinterred from those polluted graves, and that they also got some monetary compensation, and we put that on our own. That's the type of lawyers that we are, that's the type of people that I am, person that I am. Mm. I fight for the community, I fight for the rights of all, regardless of, of background, regardless of race, gender, religion, ethnicity, sexual orientation, and I've lived it my entire life. Um, you know, my entire family is diverse. I have respected and worked with many different people. I'm also a bar association leader. I'm um, the vice chair of the trial lawyers section of the New York State Bar Association. I'm a past president of the Puerto Rican Bar Association, past Hispanic National Bar Association president, network of bar leaders, a member, and very active. So I work well with people from all over, from upstate New York to Nassau County, I know how to access funds for programs that are needed 
at the Queen's DA's office. I am a good administrator, and I know how to work that office and to make mm-hmm. it representative mm-hmm. of the community that it serves. So... Uh, I'm curious. Look, looking back at Richard Brown's tenure, I mean, he's been uh, DA for twenty more than twenty eight years. Uh, how would you grade it? Has he been a great or or a poor DA? What do you think of his record? You know, when he first started, I think he was good. But if you look at his background, he's a political appointee after all. So he really didn't even have to run to be voted in by the people. He was he was appointed by Governor Carey, then he was reappointed, you know, as appointed as a judge, and then so he worked his way up through the Democratic Party in Queens, which is in shambles right now, because people are clearly unhappy with the current representation and the politicians in Queens. And Queens has gone through, it's, it has to go through an overhaul, and the people are responding to that. People have clearly made a vote, you know, in November that they're unhappy. And I think that VA Brown Maybe at the beginning he was good, but again, he's a political appointee. He has a nice reputation. He has a nice resume, but after a while, you become complacent, and you don't do, you're not you're not looking out for everybody. So if el- become, it, yeah. if elected, what would be the first change you would make in that office? The first change I would make in that office is I would first review everybody's qualifications. I would have a special transition team as well as my and, and my own closest advisors to review the reputation of everybody in that office. I would set a policy that everybody would be mandated to take diversity and sensitivity training, and that would be like continuing legal education. And not only the ADA, but the detectives, all the staff, all the personnel, because people have to understand the communities that they're, they're, they're working with the prosecute crimes in. So I would make sure that there's training proper training of diversity and sense and I don't mean just like a video or one person in a room. I mean hands on training. If you're prosecuting if you live in a California white stone cream queens and you're prosecuting a shooting or a, a, a robbery in Jamaica, I want you to get to know the community. I want you to go visit the community. I want you to get involved in a not for profit organization in that community and perhaps even mentoring young high school person from that community so you could know and you could understand the family issues and what goes on and when those people get in trouble and to also to advise them. It's sort of like a big brother, big sister program. I would make that a requirement because people have to understand it's, it's not just, you know, blinders and you're not prosecuting people in a vacuum. The entire community of, of Queens must be safe. We must protect the community and we have to do it Truthfully, equally, treating everybody with justice for all, true justice for all. And we're speaking. uh, We're speaking with uh, Queens District Attorney candidate Betty Lugo and uh, Ms. Lugo. That we've run through a number of sort of hot button issues with some of our other guests so far, who are also competing for this office. And maybe we can just uh, get a little rundown of how you feel about some of those same issues. And that would uh, that would include closing Rikers Island, uh, legalizing marijuana and uh, decriminalizing sex work. Okay. Um, well, on the closing of Rikers Island, I'm, I'm not in favor of closing it all together. I'm, I'm in favor of leaving it on the island and rehabilitating it. Now, the government has spent a lot of money to remove asbestos from a lot of the public schools. I went to public school my entire life. And now, and then they're building brand new buildings. Well, they can do the same thing with Rikers Island. 
and then separate the jails with nonviolent and violent offenders in different jails and break up the system of the jails. Because clearly, there are people that are getting together as teams, and whether they're in cahoots with corrections officers or not, because we even just had the recent president of the corrections officers also he had issues. So you have to break up that team that's happening in there and, and but keep it on Rikers Island. Definitely don't bring it into the community. I don't think it's fair to bring it into Kew Gardens or to any part of Queens. I think it should stay on the island. Mm-hmm. As far as legalizing marijuana, I would um I would be very cautious about it. Um, I'm I'm concerned that once you legalize marijuana, people are going to start smoking marijuana and combining it with alcohol and other opioids and getting behind the wheel and killing somebody or having an accident. And then they would definitely have to be prosecuted as driving while impaired under the influence of drugs. But once you once you legalize marijuana, then is it a drug? And do we have a breathalyzer type test to test whether a person is under the influence of marijuana? And right now we stopped all the people from smoking cigarettes because of the high um, government uh, benefits that were going out to pay for all these benefits. And there was a tobacco lawsuit. Well, the same thing is going to happen with marijuana. You come outside of a building, a person is right outside the door smoking marijuana. I don't think that's fair. It hurts other people. I'm not so if if people need it for medicinal purposes or for other things like that, then let's make similar to methadone. You know, methadone. You have here's a clinic. You want to smoke medicinal reason, then you have to come here and smoke it. And but I, don't expose other people to that to, to marijuana that don't need to be exposed to it. I don't it, think it's fair. And another topic, I'm curious uh, because you had talked about Richard Brown's tenure. Should there be term limits for DAs, and and if so. What should the terms be? Um, you know, right now the city council has the term limits of, what is it, four, two terms, and it would be eight years. Um, you know, he's been there for over 20 years. I think that that is an issue, and you always have to keep a fresh perspective. I think I would probably be in favor of term limits, but then you look at Congress. They don't have term limits. So if, if we're going to start imposing term limits on city and state, um, politicians, and we should also do it for Congress, because Congress should also, the feds and the states should be treated the same. You know, we have some Congress people that are there for, for ages, and they haven't done anything, and they get complacent, and they don't respond to the community because they take, they begin to take the community for granted. Would a DA do the same? I don't know. I don't know if that's what's happened in, in, in the past, but, um, with the definitely with Brown. His, his policies became outdated. He didn't freshen up his um, even his staff and his people, and he, he was not progressive at all. He just continued to employ, and and, and the, his policies continued to be outdated. Like he, you know, let ICE go into the courthouse and arrest people when you know a person may be just answering a traffic ticket. I mean, if he's a gang member with a, a violent crime or somebody got killed, mm-hmm. sure, that's a different story. But if a person is just answering a traffic ticket, or they're a witness to a, a major crime, you know, why are you going to hurt that person and bring them out and, and arrest them and then deport them? You know, so it has to be handled on a case-by-case basis. So with time limits, I, I mean, I would closely look at it, and um, it, they definitely have to uh, increase, you know, change the policies of, to meet the changes of the community. 
on the DA's office in Queens has not done that. So, uh, uh, Betty Lugo, candidate for Queens District Attorney, where can people find out more about you and your campaign? Okay, thank you. It's on Betty Lugo for, uh, for Queens QDA, Queens DA. And um, you could just, if you have any questions, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, Facebook. If you have any questions and if you want, if you're interested in volunteering, you want to hear more about my, my series and how I would um, improve, how would, you know, improve the criminal justice system all around, but especially as Queens DA, please um, contact me. Hey, thanks for joining us today on Driving Forces. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. So now we want to hear from you, our listeners. Give us a call at 212-209-2877. Let us know what you think of what you heard, but also what you also want us to start asking the other candidates who we're going to have on next week. We've got, we've got three who are going to be on uh, next Thursday as well. Our number is 212-209-2877. We talked about decriminalization. I can never say it right. Decriminalization of sex work. And mm-hmm. you had on Senator Jessica Ramos uh, yes. last week. And she is one of several legislators who has announced plans to, uh, let's see, to decriminalize charges for the sale and solicitation of sex and protect third parties like sex workers, family members and coworkers and roommates and landlords. Yeah, that was for uh, actually some special programming we had for International Women's Day Mm -hmm. uh, last week. And of course, this is Women's History Month. Uh, So that part of it is interesting to me, obviously, for a number of reasons. There are uh, there are other places, there are other countries. There are other states, in fact, where in various uh, ways or another, uh, sex work is legal. It's regulated. It's uh, it's it's policed. Nevada. Yeah, for example, Nevada. But uh, it is uh, it, it's not sort of a free for all. And then there are other places where there is uh, where this is done. Much as uh, you know, in Europe, for example, other places had regulated legal marijuana. Now, I'm not saying that those things are the same, but I mean, are we going to see these kinds of things that didn't really fit in with the American uh, quote unquote justice system way of life, whatever, uh, coming over here in a way that could be taxed? regulated and made safer for people who are involved. Uh, very interesting to hear from uh, people who want to talk about this. Do you want, you know, do you want to see Rikers Island closed? Or would you rather not have a prison, you know, somewhere, a small jail in your neighborhood? Give us a call, 212-209-2877. Do you think cash bail is discriminatory? Uh, do you think that that uh, there are things that have not been done in the justice system in Queens, if you live there, or in the rest of the city, uh, or elsewhere where you live, that you would like to see, uh, you know, improved or made more fair? Two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. We have a caller now. Okay, great. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're calling from? Hello, welcome to BAI. Nope. Okay. Ah, we've missed the call. Well, we've got only about five minutes left, so if you want to call and speak briefly, the number is 212-209-2877. You are listening to Driving Forces with Jeff Simmons and Celeste Katz. And uh, we, just to recap, we have interviewed three of the candidates today for Queens District Attorney. Next week, we're going to have on another three, just to let our listeners know. Those three will be Rory Lanceman, Tiffany Caban, and Mina Malik. 
Uh, and we will also try to carve out time during each of these shows for you to tell us what criminal justice issues or reforms are important to you and the ones that you feel the candidates should be addressing. If we did not mention, by the way, voters in Queens are going to head to the polls on primary day on Tuesday, June 25th, so about mm-hmm. three months from now. We have a listener on the line. Uh, welcome to BAI's Dri- Driving Forces. What's your name and where are you from? Hi, welcome to Driving Forces. Hi, my name is Hagar. I'm calling from Yonkers, and I have a question for the candidates. Yes. Hi, I want to know what their uh, position is on restorative justice, like um, alternative uh, results other than just going to the criminal justice system. Okay, so you're talking about uh, uh, rather than just locking people up, putting people into uh, mental health or treatment programs or uh, halfway houses or group home, like that sort of thing? Yes, and also getting the victims uh, involved in uh, in sort of what happens next. Oh, interesting. So the the role of uh, crime victims in determining sentencing or in, in turn determining uh, how people are rehabilitated or how they pay their debt to society. Exactly. What do you what do you think that should look like? I think that if someone has been harmed and the people who have, are doing the harm, rather than just putting them in prison and having them right away, they should be rehabilitated. And once they come back into the community, it would be more positive rather than just another, uh, you know, damaged person returning back. Interesting. I think that's a that's a, a good question, and that's certainly something that we will be asking more of the candidates about. We did talk to uh, some of the candidates about the difference between just warehousing people, as mm-hmm, they call it, locking mm-hmm. people up in prisons, and as you as you put it, leaving them there to rot, you know, sort of throwing away the key. Um, is that the best thing for society? Is that the best thing uh, for for the uh, for the inmate, for the person who's committed the crime? Or is it the best thing for the victim? Those are all good questions. And we're also seeing more of these diversionary programs for lower level offenses. One of the nonprofits I work with, in fact, just set up something with the Manhattan DA's office for uh, low level opioid uh related arrests where the the nonprofit is contacted um, and that this person by going through like two sessions uh, is able to have this expunged from their record yeah so that's yeah, a, I also yes I also wonder the the funds that would be saved from rather than locking people up could that be used towards the community or towards funds for the people who are the victims also a good about priorities where does the money go? We're going to have you do these, this interview next week for us. I know. This is a, <laughs> these are all excellent questions, and we, we do certainly appreciate uh, we do appreciate your call. And that's always going to be a big issue in terms of the budget. That's always going to be a big issue in terms of uh, how much money is designated for, uh, for uh, d- uh, diversionary programs, for uh, incarceration, for returning people, because that's something people are talking about a lot more than they used to. What happens when people come out of prison? How do they return to employment? How do they return to um, participating in society in in meaningful and positive ways? Uh, how do they reunite with their families? These are, are you know people pay their debts to society if they're um, if they're prosecuted. But what happens next? And you're going to get me on a whole other conversation after the show's over because a lot of the nonprofits that I work with, or some of them, have these types of programs to help people. I mean, one that we had worked with, Help USA, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, uh, had a significant program sure. that had helped folks. Uh, so.
so you know it's there are a lot of these programs out there and you know maybe we should do a show just on this at some point we on, should. on what ha- post incarceration what's out there for folks yeah i wish we had more time today to go into it i think we're coming up on it but um that would definitely be a great question and i think it's a question that public officials should have to answer you know we don't uh this shouldn't be a guessing game and this is something that affects a lot of people if it doesn't affect you personally maybe it affects your family a relative a co-worker somebody that you might hire somebody that you might go to school with so this is not something that we are thinking about or talking about hopefully in a vacuum so yeah i totally agree definitely something to revisit for us so we've got about a minute or so left i just want to uh, thank our listeners today and uh, next week uh, we are going to continue with three more candidates and uh, see if we can track down the last candidate to be on the show as well. We will make sure that we put up this uh, episode as well as next week's on uh, it'll be on the WBAI website Mm -hmm. and uh, we'll also put on SoundCloud and we will provide the links on our Driving Forces Facebook page and on our uh, Twitter uh, site as well. Both of them are Forces Driving. We had to reverse it because we couldn't get Driving Forces. (laughs) So I want to thank our listeners today thank uh james our wonderful engineer um and thank and, our guests and uh, uh, uh and of course a, thank our guests of, of, of course thank our guests uh and stay tuned for more as uh, jeff said we're going to have a lot more for you on the queen's district attorney race and uh, a lot more about city state and national politics well, we'll see you on the radio next week Coming up on WBAI at 6, the WBAI Evening News with Paul DiRienzo, followed at 6.30 by Justice Matters, and then Joy of Resistance with Fran Luck. Now this. This is attorney Michael Smith, co-host of the WBAI radio show, Law and Disorder. I've got a new book coming out on March 31st. It's called Lawyers for the Left, in the courts, in the streets, and on the air. I'd like you to have a copy. We're featuring the book on March 31st at NYU Law School, Lipton Hall, 33 Washington Square West in the village from 3 to 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Books will be available for a contribution to WBAI. You need to buy tickets. They're $30. Please call 516-620-3602. Repeat, call 516-620-3602. Or get tickets online at give to WBAI.org. That's give to the numeral 2, WBAI.org. Hope to see you there. 
Hello, WBAI listeners. This is Caridad de la Luz, La Bruja, artist, poet, powerhouse, inviting you to join us on March 15th at SOBs to celebrate Latina artists for Women's History Month. With performances by comedian Sarah Contreras, vocalist Calmencita Sings, master pianist Amy Quint Millang, Williamsburg Salsa Orchestra, and myself. Doors open at 5 p.m., showtime is at 6 p.m., and party all night long. For tickets, go to WBAI.org, SOBs.com, or TicketWeb.com, and support the station that creates elevation. Once again, let me remind you that coming up on WBAI, we have Paul Rienzo waiting in the wings to deliver the WBAI evening news, followed at 6.30 by Justice Matters with Bob Ganji. And then at 7 o'clock, the joy of resistance with Fran Luck. You are listening to WBAI New York. 